It reminds me, I was in a church in Oxted recently uh, uh, preaching, and uh, during the uh, interval that we've just had, uh, they said, anybody got a story to tell? And a lady came forward who uh, looked quite sort of not comfortable necessarily on the platform, but she came and said that she had had uh, tooth trouble and been to the dentist recently, and uh, the, the, the lady dentist had been drilling away, touched a nerve, gave her real discomfort, and she hated the whole thing. And then the, uh, the dentist said, I'm sorry, I haven't finished. You'll, you'll, you'll need to come back another time. I'll have to drill right down into the root. And uh, uh, the lady said, she said, I went home terrified. And I thought, I'm never going to go back. And so she started praying, Lord, please give me courage to go back. And she prayed uh, for some time, give me courage to go back, give me courage to go back. And uh, uh, then one day she felt, no, I've got to believe God will help me through this. And so she called the receptionist who uh, said, oh, I'm so glad you've called. We've got a, an interval this afternoon. We've just had a cancellation. Come. <gasps> she said, not straight away. <laughs> anyway, she went and... Uh, uh, she sat there and the dentist opened her mouth and started investigating and then started saying, I don't understand. And she said, what do you mean? She said, there's nothing wrong with your tooth. It's completely healed. Completely healed. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. So she, uh, this sweet lady at the front, she, she said, I'm amazed, I'm amazed. It was all, all she was praying for was courage to go to the dentist. And uh, what she got was a wonderful healing. So great, great news. Praise the Lord. Okay, so I'm in Exodus uh, for our guests just to say that I preach here from time to time. And when I have been doing so lately, I've been going through um, the life of Moses and the story of uh, the people of God coming out of Egypt, and we've come to uh, uh, Exodus 19. I'm going to read the first half dozen verses. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, Keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the people of Israel. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you, you can, Lord, take pain in a moment, you can manifest your personal love, delight in each one of us, Lord, the wonder of knowing the true God. Father, we thank you. And Father, we acknowledge our great desire to hear from you this morning. We know that we depend upon the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, please rest upon us. Please lead us into truth. Lord Jesus, Feed us with living words, we pray, that help us in life and bring you glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Well, we've said all along that this is a journey that the people of God are on. It helps us remember that we also are on a journey. We go through the journey of our individual lives, also God's great plan among the nations which include us. And of course, here we know that there's a grand, a grand story behind it all, that man has fallen, he's separate from God, he's actually been barred from the presence of God from early on in the Bible. Man made in the image of God, called the Son of God, with all the beauty of God upon him, is distorted and broken and fallen, and the history of the world becomes a very distorted thing. And then God begins a plan of salvation that will ultimately reach to the ends of the earth. And he does it in a peculiar way. He comes to one man called Abraham and says to him, through your family, I will bless all the families of the earth. Through this people, I'm going to work distinctly with them, but with the goal of blessing all the nations. So God has a plan, and the plan is unfolding. And we've watched this story as they've come out of Egypt, where as a people, they became slaves for some years, where they were in total bondage. And God came with phenomenal power and released them from that situation and began his plan so that it was no longer just an individual in Abraham or just his family, but now some two million people are on a journey and now they've arrived at Mount Sinai, which is the place where God will manifest his presence in an unprecedented way to human beings. Human beings have not been allowed to near get near God. Now there's going to come this extraordinary exposure. Moses had encountered God alone with a burning bush that suddenly was full of glory, full of the presence of God that spoke to him. Now he's told, go and bring my people. And he's done that. He's brought the people of God. It's like, here come the people of God. And God is now not just in this bush, but on this mountain full of majesty and power and glory. And he, the living God who created the universe, is going to reveal himself to a chosen people. He's going to make himself known. It's the beginning of his great plan to move across ultimately the whole of the nations of the earth. So this is a very, very key moment. He's going to bring to them what we now know as the Ten Commandments, the covenant relationship he had with him, a great important statement that comes down out of heaven, heaven's requirements for his people. God speaks, said, this is what I require of you. You're my people. I've made you my own. Now this is what I expect of you. This is the way we're going to live together. And this covenant comes about. These people related in kind of a marriage covenant. We'll see that more in a moment. So that they become special to him in the unfolding of his plan. So we here today see this beautiful word where he says, look, this is what you're to say to Israel. The beginning of chapter 19 will now take us right into the uh, encounter with God in the, in the mountain, in Mount Sinai. And so first of all, he says some five things in this sentence that he speaks to Moses. I'm just going to hopefully rush through uh, the five things that he says. The first thing he says this, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. You've seen what I did. Now, they have seen it. They've lived through it. Some few months, three months earlier, they'd come out from Egypt. They saw these dramatic manifestations of power. And he's just reminding them of who he is in his awesome majesty. And often, when God speaks to them in the Old Testament, he prefaces what he's going to say by saying, I brought you out from Egypt. When it comes to chapter 20, and you get the Ten Commandments and the covenant relationship, he begins it by saying, I am the Lord who brought you out 
from Egypt. I took you out from powers that were too great for you. Things that overwhelmed you. You had no power of your own. You had no freedom. You couldn't have decided, I think I'll leave Egypt. Uh, you're slaves. You had no freedom to leave Egypt. You, know, had, you had no choices to make. Slaves don't make choices. They do what they're told. They're in terrible bondage. But God saw them in their bondage and released them. And in that, you get an image of what we're going to see that by the end of the Bible, that God actually now, in every nation and tribe and people, is calling out people who have things that are just too powerful for them. Things they can't break with themselves. They're not free to walk away. They'd like to walk away. Many people feel, if only I could break free. But they can't. They know that this, this habit, this attitude, this relationship, this bondage to things, I cannot break out from it. But God is saying to them right from the beginning that I'm the one who broke you out. I overcame what seemed too difficult for you. And maybe someone needs to even hear that this morning. That God can break you out from things that look just too difficult for you. I was watching a little video on Facebook earlier today, actually, of a little boy being brought forward, I think, in a meeting in Mexico. And the boy is just all over the place, quite physically incapable of staying still. His father's holding him. He's just at the front of the meeting. And the pastor of the church is just there, and he begins to pray for this boy. And this incapable boy who can't, can't think right, can't look, and just as the man begins to pray over him, pray over him, you see this boy become quiet and still and looks at him and starts listening. And in the end, walks away down the aisle with his father, overwhelmed. At the beginning, his father's holding him. He can't do anything with him. And he's just broken out from things that he couldn't get out from. And this is the wonder of the gospel. We may not be as dramatic as that. The people who can't even walk or think or talk are freed. But many of us know the things that held us down. And God can break us out. He can set us free. He can rescue us from things that had such power. So he's reminding them straight away, look, I am the one who delivered you. And when he delivered them, he actually changed their identity. They're no longer slaves. And dear friends, sometimes we need that. We need a reminder that our identity has changed. It's too easy for us to try and walk through life without grasping this. I have a changed identity. I no longer am a slave and we have to remember what it says in the Romans chapter 6. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin. You are. You've been set free. But consider it. Reckon it. Line your thinking up correctly. Because too often, we, we, we live a new kind of a life. And then maybe we slip. Maybe we lose our temper. Maybe we have a bad day. And so often we think, oh, I'm just hopeless, really. And that's not true. That's just not true. <laughs> You're not a slave anymore. We can sometimes get out of character and do things that are foreign to who we now are, but it doesn't mean we've gone back into slavery. We need to remember. This is why God constantly reminds them, now don't forget, don't forget, I've set you free, you have a new identity, you are not a slave anymore. It's not that you can't help yourself anymore. You're no longer in bondage. You used to be, as it says in Romans 6, you used to be a slave of sin, now you're a slave of righteousness, you're mine. Your mind. And God's reminding them. This is the outset. I want you to know who you are. I'm reminding you what I've done. I've broken the power. I've set you free. I've made you free indeed. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. We're free. We don't have to go back. We don't have to go back into things that used to overwhelm us. 
to be honest, we don't have to go back to religion. Some of us were maybe raised religious and then we see Jesus has saved me and we, we kind of tend to go back a little to having to be religious to make sure we're accepted. What Paul calls putting yourself back under law. And Paul says in Galatians 6, for freedom Christ has set you free. Don't submit again to the yoke of bondage. Don't go back into slavery. And for him, he's talking about the slavery of law keeping. You know, you must keep the Sabbath. You must do this. You must do that. He says, no, 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 no. Jesus has set you free. Judgment is past. It's all over. The judgment that took place at the Passover has made you a freed nation. It's behind you. Judgment is past. That terrible night when people died and the lamb died in your place, your identity changed. You're no longer that side of judgment. Judgment's past. And beloved, that's our situation. Judgment is past. We don't live there anymore. We don't have to submit again to the yoke of bondage. We don't think, I have to keep these religious rules to keep God happy. It's all done. It's finished. The Passover has taken our place. Jesus, our lamb, has been crucified. And we live in the good of our new identity. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Keep standing. Don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery. And there, Paul's talking about legalism, rules and regulations. Don't fall from grace and go back to rule keeping. Don't go back. You're free. Hallelujah. So this is who you are. Remember, I brought you out from Egypt. Then you get this beautiful second phrase, right? That's the first thing. We're sure of that. We're clear. We're not slaves anymore. Amen. We are not slaves anymore. We're not in bondage to things, even religion. Thank goodness for that. We're not inviting people into religion. We've, we've, put our, we've turned that behind us. You get this beautiful phrase, I brought you on eagle's wings. So poetic and beautiful, such a tender description, how God saw it. I brought you, it's going to say in a moment, I brought you to myself. We'll come to that in a moment. But I brought you on eagle's wings. I mean, nothing could be more beautiful, more tender, the concept of these great, this great wingspan. Aren't we a privileged generation that we see these magnificent television programs of these creatures? You sometimes have to turn the commentary off, but uh, these glorious creatures underwater, eagles in the sky. You think, wow, look at that majestic creature. And God uses that most wonderful title, On Eagle's Wings. I brought you on eagle's wings. Now, that's God's perspective. For them, it looked like Red Sea. Here comes the arm. Oh, God, it opened. Thank goodness for that. And what are we going to eat? God, there's nothing to eat. Manna from heaven. Oh, wow, okay. There's nothing to drink. Hey, what are we going to do? Uh, what are we going to do with this? And there's a battle. Amalek's coming. Well, all sorts of problems, bitter water to drink. And, and for them, it's like one problem after another, one challenge after another, every one of which is solved. And God says, I brought you on eagle's wings. Heaven's perspective, I brought you on eagle's wings. Our perspective as little children, I want, why can't I have? What's have? You know, and, and, but parents see it differently somehow. And, and God is saying, I just, I carried you. You didn't realize it, I carried you. I love that, that passage in, in Hosea 11, where it says this, in that beautiful passage, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. It was I who taught them to walk. 
I took them up by their arms. They didn't know that I healed them. I led them with the cords of kindness and the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. So tender. I carried them. I, I was like a parent. I was lifting them. And some of you can remember the early days with your little children. And I remember teaching my first son to walk and the thrill of it and the joy of it. All that he knew was I kept falling over. <laughs> I was teaching him to walk. He didn't know I was lifting the load. He didn't know. And here, here God is saying to them, you're hardly aware of how I look after you. You, you stumble, you see the challenges, you think, where are we going to eat? How are we going to drink? How are we going to cope? And God's saying, I was carrying you on eagle's wings. Beloved, it's so important for us to stand where God stands, to see things from his perspective, to comprehend the match. I mean, the eagle is such a mighty bird. I was just looking on Wikipedia about eagles. And it's just too much information. They're just so staggeringly beautiful, majestic. They're the kings of the sky. And they never seem in a hurry. They saw, I was once in the Drakensberg in South Africa, and with Wendy, and we were in the mountain area, and we saw eagles. We looked down, we saw eagles down. And before we ever knew what we were doing, oh, they soared above us. Uh, and they, they, didn't, they didn't mount up with like, with, like pigeons with wings. You know. They just seem effortlessly, absolutely effortless. There's no, you don't see any panic. You, you just, they're just there, now they're there. How did that happen? They just mount up. And God is saying to you, I've got your life in my hands. I can mount up, I'll carry you, I'll take you. You may see, well, where am I? how is this going to happen? How is that going to No, no, I carried you. That's his summing up. I carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you. I looked after you. I watched over you. That's the true perspective. It's not just a poetic way of putting it. It's the truth. God was carrying them. God's carried us. He's looked after us. He's seen us face challenges, difficulties. But actually, he's carried us. He's brought us along. Tozer said this, God never hurries There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. He doesn't have any deadlines to meet. God is awesomely in control. I I carried you on eagle's wings, this tender imagery. And I brought you, it says, I brought you to myself. It's interesting, you get this at the beginning, I brought you on eagle's wings. Then you get the end of Deuteronomy 32, the very end of these five major New Testament books, how the eagle breaks up its nest. It says, you've been on this mountain long enough. And he begins to destroy, and that's scary, it's very scary. But actually, it's just going to teach them to fly. They're moving into a new time, a new dimension. And sometimes even the eagle looks like our enemy. What's he doing? Now I'm going to teach you to fly. I've carried you. Now I'm going to teach you to fly. And sometimes it's almost unrecognizable. You just used to keep me giving me food. I just sat here. And now now I'm going to teach you to fly. You're meant to fly. You won't learn to until I expose you. And so God is a wonderful, wonderful, kind friend caring for us. He brought them. He said, I brought you, and this wonderful word, I brought you to myself on eagle's wings. 
I brought you to myself. And this, for everyone who's, who's a Christian, who truly knows God, knows that's the heart of everything. And some people looking on at us think, oh, they're just religious. They've come to rules. They've come to restriction. They've come to going to meetings. They can see the externals. Oh, that's religion. But beloved, that is just religion. God says, I brought you to myself. For them, it's going to be a mountain full of glory. They actually go and encounter with the God who created the universe. And this mountain is going to just tremble with light and power, thunder and lightning, and God's going to be manifest. They're going to actually come to God, not just to religion. And for us, we, we, we have been brought to him, to himself. He's going to manifest himself on that mountain. And then he's going to say, I want a tent among you. And they make a tent. We'll come to that later on when we go through the series of what's what the point of the tent and all the things that go in the tent. But it all speaks of how God's amongst us. That's always been God's goal. He wants to be amongst us. Right from the beginning when man sinned and God said, you have to go out of my presence. If you sin, you die. You're walking a living death. The whole human race is walking a living death. The news Every day it shows us mankind is so screwed up, so messed up, so terribly spoiled. And the Bible says, this is eternal life to know God. People who haven't got to know God, they're just existing. Some are more noble than others, but they're all wrecked, essentially wrecked. And it's to, know, it's to come to God. If you haven't come to God yet... Let me invite you this morning. You can come to God. It can happen in a moment. We find all those stories in the New Testament. People just came and met Jesus and life changed. It's coming to him. It's not learning religion. It's not saying, well, I better join the keep fit club. I better get fit before I go to the fit club. So I better get fit, but I better get myself ready for the get fit club. And some are like that with regarding to coming to God. They think, well, I have to go to church then. I better do better before I go to church. It's nothing like that. It's coming like sick people did and lame people who couldn't walk and blind people who couldn't see and deaf people who couldn't hear. And they came to Jesus and everything changed. They could hear, they could see, they could walk. Their leprosy's gone. It's coming to him. It's coming to Jesus. It's knowing God for yourself. And the invitation is, come to me. Jesus doesn't say, come to religion doesn't even say come to church. He says, come to me. Come to me. It's always the Lord Jesus himself. It's, he said, I brought you to myself. I brought you to an encounter with the true God. And we come and worship here this morning. We begin to sing and to worship. The great songs we've been singing. We think of the God who gave his son, who yielded up his life for us, who endured the cross with all its shame, it's not like he was just stoned to death. He was hung up. Some of the most shameful, painful death man has ever invented. Just full of shame, hanging naked. Sometimes people think it's half high. It was probably the crosses were virtually a foot higher than the people who walked past and spat in their faces and the shame of nakedness before people. Rome tried to rule with utter horror and fear and absolutely crushing their enemies. And Jesus gave himself into that to take away our guilt. And not only did he suffer at the hands of men, at that point the Bible says God cursed him. It's unspeakable what Jesus bore for us, beloved. 
He died the just for the unjust to what? To bring us to God. To bring us to God. That's the whole deal. He became sin for us. He suffered in our place. It's like the human race said, we've done all we can do. We'll nail him to a cross. Now we hang him up. Now you curse him, God. That's what the Jews thought when they hung people up. They thought, well, we could kill them, but we'll do this. Let God do the best, the rest. And Jesus did all that, beloved, that you could find God, that you could be brought to God. All your guilt removed from you, all your shame, all the failure, all the things that are blotting your conscience removed at a stroke because Jesus took our place in order that we might be brought to God. He brought us to himself. He said, I'm the true vine. Dwell in me. Be like a branch. I'm, I'm the life imparter. I'm, I'm, like the, I'm like the trunk of the tree. You're like a branch. Just, just come and dwell in me. Let me dwell in you. You'll find life. You'll find supernatural life. You partake of divine nature. You find God's with you. You live your life with God now. That's the invitation that's coming out. I brought you to myself. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you, that I and you, I will give you rest. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. You'll find rest for your soul. Jesus is a life imparter. He comes to give himself. I brought you to myself. And then he tells a wonderful thing. He says, you will be my treasured possession. Treasure possession. Special treasure, it says in some translations. They hardly know how to put it in words. It's something that is owned and highly prized. And some things are, you know, things are special possession, treasure possession, because of the person who owns it. It doesn't necessarily have intrinsic worth in other people's eyes. It's like little children with their piece of cloth. Um, some of you have had little babies that get very attached, or little toddlers who get very attached. They must have their piece of cloth. Where's my you know, They scream until, oh, there it is. And, I go, and it's like their treasured possession. You think, well, that's worth nothing. You ask that kid what it's worth. I've, I've heard parents say, it stinks, it's horrible, but they can't live a day without it. And then they find some clever way. They cut off an end of it, put it in the washing machine, and then switch and go, there you are, there's your piece of cloth. Because it's horrible, smelly, sticky thing, but the, the child is their special possession. Their teddy that they chew, and it's, it's all got one arm missing, and, but it's their special possession. And it's the person who owns it who puts the value on it. Sometimes people have their homes broken into they can lose precious things but some things they lose they think oh, that is irreplaceable that breaks my heart to lose that and that's the kind of language we're talking about it's not saying some, well, that's got intrinsic worth you bought you could get half a million that's not the point that isn't the point it's what it feels like to the one who owns it and God is saying to his people you're my treasured possession Beloved, I'm just in preparing this, just sitting back and letting, trying to let this phrase sink into my soul. It's pretty wonderful to ponder that. God says of us, his children, you're my treasured possession. Treasured possession. 
And that's why, to be honest, one of the reasons why sin in Israel is so heartbreaking to God. So when you do read Hosea and you read these beautiful stories of how God loved them, and then you went after other gods. It's like I fell in love with you and I married you and then you went and committed adultery. So you broke my heart. It's not, it's not just that you didn't keep the rules. You broke my heart because you're my treasured possession. My dearest, my, my treasure. And you, you threw it away. And, and behind, behind the relationship of the human race with God, God at the beginning of the Bible talks about a marriage. At the end of the Bible, it's all heading up to a marriage. God has invented marriage to express just total love and devotion and delight and special treasure and when it's broken, it's so painful. It's so painful. And God is saying, ah, oh, ah. Oh. It's God's special treasure. And that's what God thinks of us. We're his dear, dear bride. We're also his son. That's the wonder of the Trinity. The privilege of a God who is three in one. I have a father who surpasses any fathering you could ever think of. And I have a bridegroom. It's amazing. We have a father, we have a son, we have a, a husband, we have a father. It's amazing. But we find here that Jesus came down out of heaven and told the story of the prodigal. This one, this dear, dear son. And he goes off, breaks the heart of the father. And you get the story, the father's looking every day, every day, every day. And the son comes ru running back, or at least the father runs to the son. This, my son, was lost, he's found. He was dead, he's alive again. The treasure, the wonder of restored relationship, restored affection. We're talking about a special treasure, special treasure. I can't remember, but I may have, I may have told this story before, if I have, forgive me. But I, um, I remember when Wendy and I were on holiday once in Spain, and our little girl Anna was just a tiny toddler. And uh, we were on this beach, and it was very sunny, but it was extremely windy, and no one was in the sea. And uh, so the hundreds and hundreds of people just lying in the sun, but no one swimming. And the tide is just smashing down and sucking out again. It's very scary. And we're there with, we have three children at the time, and Ben, and then Anna, the toddler, and Joel, who's lying in the pram. And we're not far from the water's edge and because uh, the beach is so crowded and we're playing with them and playing with them and playing with them and then I just lying down reading a bit and Ben and Anna are playing and Joel's asleep and uh, and then I, I look around and say, I said Ben where's Anna he said she's uh, oh, I don't know Anna where's Anna and it's like she's not there and uh, I jump up I'm looking for Anna I can't see Anna and as I'm standing there uh, these waves are terrifying and I, and I said Anna where are you and I started walking down this bay, and Wendy stayed with the baby in the pram, and I, I, I walked right down this uh, <laughs> terrible experience, walking down this bay and asking people, and they're all Spanish, it's all Spanish people, and, and Anna's a little blonde girl, and they're all dark-haired people, and have you seen my little, and they can't even speak English, and it's very painful, you're looking for, and I go all the far, as far as I can, and I've not seen her, so I go back, and I come back to Wendy, so I go the other way. And I'm walking down this bay, and I saw a couple from our hotel, and I said to them, have you seen Anna, our little girl? You know, you know Anna? And we'd spoken to them at the hotel, and no, she'd not been this way. 
And I'm walking along, and that's, I mean, it's just the most, one of the most terrible days of my life. I'm walking along this, and I just, every time the wave smashes down, I'm thinking, she's gone. And uh, it's just terrible. She's gone. I can't, I can't listen to these waves, really. She's gone. And uh, I keep walking because, to be honest, I've, by that time I thought she couldn't have walked this far. It's too far. And surely the people from the hotel would have spotted her. She'd stand up. And uh, it's like, <laughs> I can't stop walking. The only reason I couldn't stop walking was because, what am I going to say to Wendy? How am I going to help her? She's gone. And uh, you, you, you keep walking because you can't let go. You cannot, in your heart, say, that's it. It's over. And I walk, and then suddenly, suddenly, I see my little toddler sitting in the sand, playing with an ice cream stick. And she looks up at me and said, I couldn't find you. <laughs> I, I scooped her up and hugged her to myself. I did not say, well, you walk this far, you walk back. <laughs> I just lifted her up. I waved her at Wendy. I put her on my shoulders. I love that story. That it says about the 99, and the shepherd goes looking for the one, and it says he carries him, carries the lamb back. I mean, it's just, you think, oh. And that's what God says, you're my special treasure, my treasured possession. The thought that you were dead, you're alive again. You're lost, you're found. That's how God feels about us, beloved. That's how God, God is love, surpassing any human father. He just, he just wants to hold us. He wants to be a father to us, to care for us. He wants us in that relationship. And we find here, I brought you to myself you are my treasured possession. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. We're part of that joy set before him, that special, special possession. That's what he says of us. And then he says this, you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You're going to have this immense privilege. He says, I'm Lord of the whole earth, says in the passage, I'm the Lord of the whole earth. But somehow in the mystery of God, he sets his love upon people. We don't understand it. We don't, it's not clear why. And there's a wonderful passage in Deuteronomy and chapter 7. It says this, Well, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. There it is again. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that are on the Lord, the Lord that the Lord has set his love on you and chosen you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. <laughs> this is in complete circle. I love you, and it's not because of this, not because of this, it's because I love you. And it's it's mystery. In in God's choice, he said, You didn't choose me, I chose you. Jesus said in John fifteen. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And there's mystery in it, it's mystery in it. If Hollywood makes a movie about uh, Egypt's uh, brokenness and the slave Egypt, uh, Israelite people coming out, they will make it an issue about slavery and injustice. It's not about that at all. It's about love for a people he set his love upon. And that carries right over to the New Testament for those who are in Christ, because Christ becomes the seed of Abraham. He becomes the 
absolute focus of the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel is in Christ. And all who are in Christ, Jew and Gentile, and our new people on planet Earth who live by the same values. He says, you will be a chosen race, a kingdom of priests. Incredible privilege. People with privileged access to God. When we come to God, we don't need a priest. I don't need to go to a confessional. I don't need to make an appointment with a priest. I can come to God. We are a family of priests. That's what God says. You will be a nation of priests. You will have your people who can all come direct. And this is the wonder of the new covenant. Each one shall know me, it says, from the least to the greatest. Every one of us has direct access. We're, we're a, a family of priests. We're a royal priesthood. We have access to God. These people are going to know God close up, and that's going to be the privilege of the people of God. We can draw near, we can feel how much he prizes us, how he treasures us, how he draws us to himself. And Peter writes in the New Covenant, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you can proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's the wonder of the New Testament. When we read Peter writing this letter, First Peter is writing to the scattered believers. He's writing now to Christians scattered all around. And he uses this language which was originally given uniquely to the Jewish people and now changed and transforms that to include those who are in Christ, Jew and Gentile. You've come to Christ. You've come to him. You've been brought into this family. You're a branch in the true vine. You're included in. And for everyone who's included in, he says this wonderful thing, that we are a royal priesthood, God's own possession, so that we can proclaim his excellencies. We can worship him. We can declare his worth. We can shed light among the darkness. We can tell others of the wonder of Christ. We can pass on the good news of Jesus. Sometimes, very, very obviously, I've heard some stories, I gathered with 25 New Frontiers pastors this last week, had two days with them, it's been a busy week, and uh, just hearing their stories, and one said he had a guy in his church, and he he had a a Muslim guy doing some painting and decorating for him, and he said he argued, argued the price down. He argued it down to what he, what he felt was right. And the guy said, okay, okay, I'll do it for that. And he did the job, and he was really pleased with it. So he said, I'll pay you a full whack. He said, I'll tell you what, as a bonus, I'll give you what you actually asked for it. And he said, this Muslim guy was just so blown away that anyone would show him such kindness and friendliness, as a result of which he started coming along to the church, came to the Alpha, brought his family. They've all come to Christ. They've all come to Christ. The whole family been baptized, become part of the church because someone brought light into the darkness that was there. Just, just an act of kindness, just a display of generosity and kindness that opened the door. And for us, beloved, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, to make him known. So the church is here. Yes, we're here for the glory of God. We're here also for a light to the nations. And all that's being worked out in embryo in the Old Testament stories 
written down for our instruction, principles there that get transformed and multiplied in size and content for the church across the nations. Alan Stibb says this, the chief end of God in the creation of man was to have a people of whom he could say, I am theirs, they are mine. No phrase in scripture more frequent or more fundamental. I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people and I shall dwell in the midst of them. We've been brought to God. He treasures you. He loves to manifest his presence. As Paul just felt a prompting, hey, God wants to heal people here this morning. Somebody gets healed. God's amongst us. God's with us. God loves us. God's for us. And your way may look confusing as the Israelite journey looked very confusing. God says, I carried you on eagle's wings. I brought you to myself. I was in control all the time. No panic in the heavens. God bringing us through into his purposes. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Thanks. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that we haven't come to a mountain of fire and smoke and this amazing imagery that we've come to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can know you. We thank you we can feel you breathing into our hearts. I treasure you. I treasure you. You're my special possession. My treasured possession. The one that if the house burns, this is, I can't let that go. It's irreplaceable. Father, I do pray for grace for each heart. Pray for any who feel bewildered, even like the prodigal, I've got away. I've, I've got away. It's like I've died. Well, we might come running back, running back. Thank you for your words when the prodigal said, I'll just be a servant. I'll just, I'll just be a servant. No, no, my son. This is my son. I thought he was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. Father, we pray that we might cherish your love, be enriched by it. Give us courage, Lord, to believe in your wings, looking after us, carrying us, leading us. Father, we, we thank you. We are treasured. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, let these words fortify us for the waves that we encounter in life, the setbacks, the disappointments, the delays. Help us to know, no, we're, we're being carried by God, actually. Holy Spirit, let your word do us good, we pray. We ask it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.